welcome back to South and Person. We're here for season two. We are here for season two. This is awesome. We have finally gotten so much shit together. We have a soundboard now. We have like calibrated audio. We have a new studio. It's not a studio. It's apartment. not a studio. It's it's, it's a, a different apartment, apartment that in fact Doug lives in, which has always been the studio for us. Yeah. Uh we are back again with what is what is very likely to be the fan favorite uh fan favorite guest. Right. And let's oh, wow. let's do a roll call real quick. I'm Doug Daffin. I am Chris Bendeman and we have today. You know, it's uh used to be known as Coffee Black. Now I'm uh now I'm the great Zaxby. Um Oh my god. AKA Zach Daniel. Uh it's good to be back, guys. Thank you guys for having me back. It's, I appreciate it. It's never been better. The great Zaxby. Yeah, so that's hilarious to me because in one of my English classes in um undergrad, we talked about how Gats there's this theory going around that Gatsby was a black person who was passing. Mm. I'm super interested and maybe may mm, I'm seduced by this theory. I don't know convinced. But, but we're I'm... not going to talk about it because that's not our topic this week. Well, I don't know what our topic is. So our topic this week, <laughs> we are going to talk about the almighty word, um, not of God. What? Simply. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about the word, um, how it's used as a tool, how, um, what? how. Linguistics? Way... No, not languages. Simply the word. And. You'll you'll start to understand as we talk about it. Okay, help me. Um, because this is my topic this week, and I think it'll be part of my greater lecture series this season, because I've been thinking about doing philosophy of um, expression this season, just for my own personal things. Chris can do whatever the hell he wants. Um, I think I've only been on for Doug time. Yeah. You've only been on... Twice. Twice. This is... Yeah. 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 You need to give me a Chris topic as well. Come on, Chris. Well, I can't do Chris it right has now. Real topics is the things. So let's talk about our drinking Wait, games. We didn't. <laughs> what did you say? I didn't hear it. Chris has real topics. I tend to have topics that exist. Yeah. Um, whereas I have <laughs> metaphysical. Topics. I want something that exists sometimes, but I'm down for the metaphysical. Well, I, I like really, this, I, I really do like this topic. I'm going to need help on what this you'll, topic is. You'll get into it, but first, our drinking games. So I want to remind everyone, real quick. Um, about how the podcast works. Uh, we are two, or in this case, three sophists. We don't know anything about philosophy in a classical educated sense. Um, I barely got a minor in it in undergrad. <laughs> and, I took two classes. Yeah, and Chris had I less. took two classes as well. Zach and I are equally qualified to discuss... Yes! Um, no. Shout out to Nerdame's philosophy right. requirements. But sophists are people who don't care, who are still willing to talk about the subject and pretend knowledge. Um, the symposium aspect of our show is that we drink while we cast our pod. And um, the way we've devised drinking games, and you may follow along if you want. Um, I'd like to say this to my mom and anyone else who's listening who's worried about our health is that we don't, like, take a, down a whole shot or a whole fucking beer each time no. these drinking games come up. We take a sip, maybe. We drink at our leisure. Um, so I'm glad you said that, because my parents do listen to this show. Um, <laughs> and I feel that there should always be sort of an apology, because they're, you know, part of it is that they're interested in it. And the only thing they actually complain about is that I drop too many curse words. They don't seem to mind that I'm just drinking the well, whole time. Well, fuck that. No, it's well, actually I'm is. Sure I swear more. When I was over the summer, my parent, my mom made some comment to me like, "I've never heard so many f bombs in my entire life as in the first thirty minutes of your podcast." <laughs> but I, That's I, I, funny, I think actually. I do all the swearing, Chris. No, I, I really, actually, I come you know, from a sailor's family. It's funny because last semester or last season, same thing. Last season, I really was like listening to myself as I was talking, and I really felt like you know, it seems that I'm the one who curses all the time. And Doug's like an upstanding citizen. <laughs> so basically, we just have really poor self uh, self yeah. images. Yeah, maybe. Okay. All right. So onto our drinking games. Normally, we discuss these before we begin the show, but I kind of forgot to do it. So okay, here's my first drinking game, um, and it's called "We Are Not Professional Scrabble Players." Oh. And this Ooh. drinking game is any time we have to invent a word. Oh my god. Um, to get our point across, we take a drink. Huh. Now I'm motivated to do... And, yeah. Okay. And it might be, you know, inventing a prefix or a suffix onto a word, at, where that combination doesn't commonly exist. 
Um, it's basically any anything that wouldn't work in Scrabble. Um, that's what we take a drink for, except for proper nouns, because we would not want to be dead. Well, I think it is fair to suggest that we have to have a very conservative view as to Scrabble rules, because depending on the table that you're at, so we'll just say that most things won't work. Like, when in doubt, yeah. it's not a real word. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. There's, sure. there's some self-judgment here. I think so. Um, that was the only rule I had actually thought of. That's fine. What are we drinking? So, our drink tonight... Because I legitimately don't know what we're yeah, drinking. Yeah, our drink tonight is called a Hypnotic Long Island. And it is made out of hypnotic vodka, rum, tequila, gin, um, Sprite, and triple sec. And it's supposed to have sweet and sour mix, but Zach and I vetoed that. Okay. And it's... It interesting. An decision. It yeah. was an aesthetic decision. So, honestly, it makes it a little cloudier. And yes. honestly, it um, makes it a little too easy to drink. Like, I really don't want us to get too messed up tonight. So I was like, you know, take out the soup. All right, man. I mean, that's that's a unique viewpoint that you have. I just don't want people I don't to think die. It's sh- I'm just saying I don't think it's shared by anybody in the room. But I, mean, I, I, I just, appreciate your viewpoint. I just prefer people not to die. It's a... It's just something I feel. Okay. I, oh, and you then, guys are my friends. Um, the other the other drinking game I have, actually, I just remembered it. All right. I just came up with it. Rule number two. Rule number two is thesaurus, ne- thesaurus needed. Oh. And it's every mm. time we try to remember what a word is because we have sort of the word we want, but not the exact word we want. I'm going to die. Yes. Yeah, this is my... Yeah, no, and you know it. I see that smile on your face because you know... The podcast viewers don't. The in- no, but they do because the entire last they season. They hear the smile on my face. Minute after minute, it was just me being like, "Now, what am I thinking of? Not exactly this word, but perhaps a different word." And, and that's know. just the way I've been for years. And now you're gonna kill me. Yes. Well, gonna... I deserve it. No, I deserve it. I do. <laughs> we're gonna teach you to drop that habit. No, we no, you're not. The fire and flames, man, of the hypnotic Long Islands. Yeah. So, I almost passed that once on expert mode. I, I actually did it. Very well done. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate I it. I play real guitar. You you play could more you, than just real guitar. You've not, got a bass. Could you not be that guy? Here in the studio, like, here in the studio, we're sit, we're seated next to the trophy rack, which includes Doug's guitar and Doug's bass. The man is a musical savant. See, but here's the thing. Actually, those are wall decorations. Um, you could look on them. They're fairly dusty. I think that's the way they're supposed to be. Yeah, I act. I play the bass occasionally. Um, I play the guitar, the electric guitar, never um, because the fingers hurt my str- the strings hurt my fingers. He said the fingers hurt his strings. I did. Listen, we we can't start that now because in about fifteen minutes after I'm done remembering words, I'm going to black out. So probably. All right, we. Yeah. How long in this thing are we? We are. We are about eight minutes. Yeah, All we're, right, we're nine minutes. I feel in. like that's a great. What time. the fuck is the topic? Doug? All right, so I'm going to begin the topic, and I'm going to begin with this. Um, Zach, Chris, and the viewers, although you won't get the input on this, I want y'all both to imagine an apple. Like, picture it in your head. Just, Granny just Smith. take a moment. Granny Smith. What? 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 Cartesian. Just picture, picture right. an apple. A Cartesian. And y'all apple. are beating me to the punch here. It's, just a, it's a Cartesian picture, apple. Picture a fucking apple. Yeah. Cartesian. All right. Yeah. What color is the apple? And thank red. you, Zach, for Green. spoiling this. It's a red Sorry. apple. Yeah, so like... here's the thing. I told you both the same word, right? Right. But you thought of a red apple and yeah. you thought of a green apple. Cartesian apple. Right. I remember this. I don't. So. <laughs> Last season. <laughs> maybe. Okay. Maybe we discuss this we're, a little bit. I think that we're maybe going to talk about linguistics, but I'll let you go on. We're not necessarily. I mean. I mean a bit. I just, I'm just, what I mean is like, I think this topic is going to end up involving the, the wall between communicator and communicate. So I feel like in any etymology conversation, you're going to like come across the wall. Yeah. And I actually have a very good question about the wall in terms of how we can let it So then my question is, what is a word? A word I think is a bundle of, it is, it is an assumed bundle of common experiences and meaning that forms a larger whole. That's what I think. I think it is a, similarly, a a bundle of, it's supposed, uh, it's a bundle of words that convey a certain emotion or a certain image. So my 
point on words that I want to talk about tonight is that I believe that words are a tool. In the same sense that we use a hammer to hammer in nails, we use a word to communicate. Um, it's, a, it's a weird tool. It's a metaphysical tool, in a sense, because a hammer is a physical. Do you think that each word is like its own tool, or that words as a category are like a tool, such that a word like apple might be... Uh, analogized to a hammer or is it rather that words are to be analogized to a hammer i think both i think each okay. word is a specific tool in the tool set um it's a very big tool set i've had seen but then there's more than series. one then then there's multiple tool sets with different tools in them if we yeah, talk about languages not, over we're here not, we're not i'm going to avoid talking about languages specifically um oh, i'm just I, talking about yeah. language yeah. Like, I'm not, I don't even mean, like, languages. I just yeah. mean, like, language is a tool set, and then there's other things that are tool sets. Like, for example, maybe force would be a right. tool set. Or uh, body. Well, how broadly do you describe language? Because um, you're focusing on words, yeah, and I get that. Specifically words. Because As I'm, against maybe right. body language. Yeah, because there's, there's more to using words. Um, than language. There's tone, there's body language. Mm -hmm. There's, there's all sorts of stuff to convey that we can do other than words to convey meaning or in addition to words to convey meaning. Okay. But I specifically want to talk about words because I have another question to, for, for both of you. When y'all think, do you think in words? It depends. If yeah. I'm thinking consciously and I'm thinking about the fact that I'm thinking, I do think in words. But if I'm thinking subconsciously or unconsciously or I'm just sort of, you know, thinking in the standard way, I think that I either think in images or I think in ideas. So I'm very similar. If I'm thinking about thinking, obviously I'm thinking in words. But if I am thinking just to think, I really think I think in... It's a weird mix of emotion and... Do you feel like inventing a word for it? Cheers, uh, everyone. First one of the season. Here's the thing, Zach. And here is always a thing. And as a person who listens to a lot of podcasts, I always want to make... Um, I want to make note of moments like this. So you said, obviously, oh, when yes, yes. you're thinking. But here's the thing. To you, it may be obvious. But and to you and I, it seems obvious. But what's interesting is, well, do you agree, Doug? Do you agree that when you think consciously, you think in words as against other kinds of thinking and imagining? Um, I think it's a mixture of, I think, so I, I think in thoughts and I translate it to. Well, what about, Interesting. are there different ways you think though? That's the question, right? Because like all of us, I think, I mean, Zach and I at least yeah. would agree. I think that for Zach and I, we're coming into this conversation like we think different ways. So there's the kind of thinking we do that we later translate into words once we've thought about it. Right. And then there's the kind of thinking we do when we realize we're thinking. And when we realize we're thinking, we start, we start talk, we start thinking in terms of words. We start translating on the fly. So that I think is what we're putting to you. Is there different ways in which you think like that? Um, I mean, I don't try to characterize the way I think, but, uh, I, I think it's, so here's, here's a greater point I have on words is that, um, they are tools, but, because they're tools, they have limitation. Um, in the same sense, like, you can use a hammer to hammer in a nail, but you can't use a hammer to um, screw in a screw. So that that is exactly my larger question to you. Right. Is when you say that, do you mean that a particular word can't accomplish every goal, or do you mean that language can't accomplish every goal? I, I suppose that my answer is that I, one of the thing one of the reasons why I'm bringing this topic up is I want to talk about the idea that language, that there are things that language doesn't fully express. Okay. Um, things that we just sort of grasp. We can, we can see things with language, but we can't fully grasp them. And that's why I say the analogy is such uh, an important tool within it. Um, well, analogy is, of course, a part of language. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit... Use... I'm, I'm going to begin this conversation from a perspective of extreme, uh, cynicism, but probably more specifically, um, uh, doubt. Okay. Skepticism. Because I adore language. I think that language communicates so, 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 so very much. So I, I'm interested to see how this conversation goes on because I, I can't, I can't find my, my position initially anywhere near yours. All right. So here's a fun question for y'all. Or a fun task for y'all. 
Um, come up with something that doesn't have a word yet and invent a word for it. Okay, fair enough. But that is, isn't that ultimately the Cartesian challenge itself? Right, but that's not what I asked you to do. I asked you to come no, up you're with right. a word. No, I, I yeah. concede that it can't be done. I well, think no, it, it can be done, absolutely. I think it can't be done. What you think? You think you you don't have the creativity to come up with? I think it's beyond the human capability. I've got. It could be English language, not not something that can't be expressed in words, but rather just something that doesn't have a word in the English language. There are, oh, something that's never been expressed. Yeah. Oh, in, the oh, then language. yes, yes, yeah. yes. Then then we can, we can. Yeah, and mine. Uh, the word I'd like to come up with. I haven't come up with a word yet, but the, it's for. The moment where you go somewhere and you realize you've only ever been here when you're blackout drunk. Um, mm -hmm. I call it the Waffle House. Okay. Good title. Well, I'll go with something easy. It's a word that we've already adopted into our own language, despite the fact that it doesn't exist therein, because we admit that the word should exist, but we don't have one. Schadenfreude. Okay. Easy, right? And it's and it's the Germans. The Germans came up with a word that basically means your personal affection for watching other people suffer. Well, we don't have oh, that word. That's how you pronounce it. Shit, I've been saying Skitschenfreude. <laughs> in yeah. my mind. Schadenfreude. And, and here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm... Okay, so I do have Danish lineage and heritage. Yeah. I consider myself a proud Wait, don't we just Can't we just call that masochism? Or, sorry, sadism? Which one's which one's the one where you whip yourself, and which one's the one where you whip yourself? Masochism so is uh, whipping yourself. Sadism is whipping others. Yeah, if you want to put it that it way, well, no, because it's it's a little bit more sophisticated than that. There's there's more complexity to the feeling, and I think that that is the that is the easiest way to add words to the language because German is something that's what's called a analytic language, which means you can construct new yeah. ideas by just putting smaller words together right. into bigger words rather than constructing sentences. Yeah, so many, there's many this, other languages like that. that yes, are they are. Developed. Yeah. Yeah. English this, is just um, not. Yeah. Speaking of words, there was this play I was in called uh, Putnam 20th, an 20th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Yeah. Um, I probably butchered the fuck out of that name. I think and, you eventually got it right. You're right. And I was the... um. I was the announcer guy, so I got to tell people um, their words and definitions and use in a sentence. And what, that was my favorite role ever, not because the character was also named Douglas, um, although that helped, uh, but because I could come up with my own words and definitions and use in a sentence. And there were certain points where we were supposed to give people unspellable words. Right. And one of the words I used was Geschwindigkeitsbegrenzung, which um, is German for speed limit. And my use in a sentence was, uh, slow down, Carl, you're going way over the Geschwindigkeit begrenzt. Anyways, speaking of German as yeah. a, um, language that, and, is, and there's that a good, Frankenstein's words together. And there's a good, you know, point behind, well, it's unspellable. Well, of course it is, because the language is supposed to create new words that aren't supposed to be generally known, but something that when you hear it, you're like, Oh, no, I know what that means. They use words almost as if we use sentences in a lot right. of cases. So, of course, they're going to generate words like that. Or and what use, I mean by... words as we use phrases. Okay, that's fair as well. Yeah. And what what I bring up with Danish is that I'm just more connected because I, I subscribe to all the Danish uh, feeds from the embassies and the government and everything else. Every once in a while, they'll right. post some silliness about... You should learn this word. Everyone should learn this word, whatever. And it's a similar idea. Entire suites of feelings all concentrated into one very long word. And Zach, um, can you do a word? So the word that I... Uh, so let's start with this. Sonder is a word that is in the English dictionary. It means to probe. Uh, but in the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, I'm getting very Tumblr, very Drake on you guys with the dictionary. Wait, what is the Dictionary of Obscure yeah. Sorrows? It's a dictionary developed by this guy. I forget his it name. It sounds like a Dungeons and Dragons rook, but... Yeah, a little bit. But it's... Pretty, basically, he ends up just attaching new definitions for things that in the English language don't really have a... So it's basically taking the idea of other languages and having actual words for these feelings and these things that you will experience in your life and really don't have a word for and attaching them to a word so you can use them in daily life. So how I found this certain feeling was through Sonder was the definition in the dictionary of obscure sorrows. And it was, uh, 
And it meant that feeling that you get where everyone around you is living as deep and as complex of a life as you. And the fact that you can't experience the same depth of emotion on their side that you can in your own. It's very weird. It's very, it's very, it's a very obscure word, but, but yeah, that's, that would be interesting. All right. So Chris, um, you said you were skeptical about this whole topic. Uh, yeah. Does that mean you don't believe that the power of words have a limitation and you think that if the speaker say is, um, perfect, then there'd be nothing he'd be unable to communicate. Let me put it this way. I think that my skepticism is that there is such a thing as a perfect speaker. Right. But I do think that every listener can imagine a string of words and a method of communication of those words that would perfectly communicate to them exactly what it is they needed to hear to understand the full picture of the communicated message. Right. So you're saying that they're... It's possible for perfect communication to I like I do think so. I do think sense. so. Yeah. And I want to I want to give people a picture of lossless communication actually. So, if I have if I have a favorite tree, um I don't, but if I do, um and I want to describe this tree to Chris and Zach, I'm probably not going to be able to describe it in such a way that they can take a pic- they'll have a picture of it in their head that matches with my picture in my head. But I can take a picture, a literal picture of the tree, or a digital picture of the tree, and um, send it to them on Facebook. And then that that picture is um, changed into ones and zeros and sent uh, sent to them. And then their computer reads the ones and zeros and pulls up the exact same picture of the tree that I sent, uh, barring any, like, Facebook issues. Hmm. Um, so that would be sort of perfect communication in the sense that the exact picture that I send is the exact picture you receive. Yeah. What's interesting about that is you're not perfectly communicating your experience of the tree. Right. You're perfectly communicating what the tree looks a, like what we from can, a certain angle at a certain point of day. Right. Yes, what we would consider an objective communication of right. the tree. But what's interesting about that is to assume or to imagine that that communication of the tree is in some way the most important kind, or or even a kind that should matter, as against your experience of the tree, what mattered to you about the tree, right? And that, I think, is the domain of language, is to communicate not just things, right. but experiences of things. And to that matter, not just communicate, but express. Um, because... And I'm going to draw a line here, and I don't want us to spend 30 minutes talking about it like we did on the Tribes episode. But I'm going I mean, to fair say, enough, but I will note that it was, in fact, you complaining to me about how dare you draw lines on that episode. Right. So, so I'm, go ahead and draw lines, though. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say communicate means um, send objective information to one another, whereas express means send subjective information to one another. Um. I object to this line, but continue. I will operate under this line. Right. From now on. I don't think that's a perfect definition of either word, but it's a working definition. That's fine. Um, and that's what we're going to use. Okay. I would like to posit my objection to this definition as that without good expression, you will not have good communication. But if this is the definition that we're operating under from now on, I'm fine with it. Just wanted it to be on record. That's all. Well, I'm calling this specifically a working definition, mm. and I'm saying this as a way to refine our tool so that we can have more effective communication and expression. Oh, look at you. Turn my words again. Yeah. So, <laughs> last the I'm telling you, thought ran I'm telling out of the you, the, hypnotic, the hypnotic Long Island's hit you pretty hard. Oh, yeah. Hit you like a ton of bricks. Yeah, so, uh, or like a train that just left the station, oh, and you didn't get on board, and you forgot where you were talking about. So I guess I'll move on to a sort of similar point. That's all I have. Um, all three of us are law students. Um, yeah. This isn't good. some great revelation, but all three of us are law students, and as such, like we're we're officers of the word, um, in a sense. That really makes us sound like we're crusaders. But go ahead. Sure, crusaders of the word. <laughs> um, I'm using a little fun parlance here, but Chris, get, Chris, thoughts on that phrase? I mean, again, I, I think this is, interject. I mean, the thing is that I, I feel so firm in our, in our media. 
Yeah. All we've got, I think, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I... Oh, right. That's what we were talking about. I spend a lot of... I want to stay on that point. Okay. Um, If you have more to say, go for it. Yeah, thanks for getting me back on the train. It's like that movie Silver Bullet with um, curly hair. Uh, We're going to take a drink for this as a thesaurus necessary, Um, even though it's an actor that I'm forgetting the name for. Curly hair, dude? Uh, Willy Wonka. Gene Wilder. R.I.P. Yeah, rest in peace. And... Um, like, one of the fun things on that movie is that it starts on a train, and they, Gene Wilder, uh, falls on and off the train, like, four-ish times in the movie. Um, he, he falls off the train and has to get back on the train. Um, it's, it's not right comedy. Anyways, uh, we were talking about the idea of perfect communication, and, yeah, actually, I was going to about, I was about to segue into the love, um, student thing. So, do you think that perfect expression is a thing that people, or near perfect even, is an art that people can reasonably acquire? Well, no. It's certainly, it's an art that the school tries to teach us in well. the sense that I'm in a transactional drafting course right now, and they're trying to teach to draft contracts that express exactly what we want. Here's the thing. So I come at this from a very, actually, maybe the opposite direction. I am being trained in how to talk to juries in a way where they feel what I mean. They have their own emotional touch points to what I'm talking about. And ultimately, they care and empathize with who I'm talking about, right? Right. Which is maybe the opposite actually, of what you're talking about. And that's why I'm sort of struggling over here, sitting in my little corner of the room, about, you know, these different definitions of the way that you convey meaning. Because I really do think that in my own life, I've I've watched and been a part of this struggle about, well, do you convey meaning by expressing exactly what you mean? Or do you convey meaning by way of just showing a feeling, showing a attachment of the ethereal to the manifest. And so, wait, I have this weird thing between the two of you, and I just want to kind of be the referee. And he's also literally between the two of us. Yeah, I'm literally between the two of you, so I think I... I feel like, for the non-legal listener, that these are two sides of a of a profession that are maybe not disparate in our learning, but disparate in our effects. So, on one hand... To be a effective, like, I'm an ad- advocacy server right now, we're talking to, about talking to juries and things of that nature. So if we're talking about uh, talking to juries and doing things that, uh, and trying so, to convey emotion. Litigation? The source? Litigation. Fine. Yeah. Litigation. I'll take it. Litigation, fine. That's what it's actually called, by the way. But, um. Trialing? Yeah. Doing the trial thing. That would be a much better word. <laughs> ah, it appears that it's not a word yet. Uh, so yeah, if we're talking about litigation and really talking to a jury, yes, you're trying to boil it down, boil your points that may be very complex down to a simple emotion and have them experience that emotion and maybe commiserate with them. But in the transactional sense, I feel like you are trying to have the words on the page convey exactly what you're like, you mean, so that they're able to understand exactly what you mean down to the word, and really not, not really have a feeling on the matter, but more just be like, I'm able to process this information, and I'm also able to regurgitate it back to you, and I'm able to develop feelings separately on what I've received. Well, Zach, let me suggest this, because after the semester of learning about advocacy survey, I Mm -hmm. felt like over time... I very painfully learned the lessons of what maybe the instructors were trying to teach us. And I think it's about much more than just boiling down points. I think it's, I think it's much more about boiling the down the points in your own planning, but still to try in every effort, every, every moment, every opportunity you have in that courtroom mm-hmm. to communicate the fullness of the message. Even if in your own mind, you have it boiled down to some simple points. But I feel that we're getting off topic, well, and I want to get back to yeah, it. Yeah, so let's let's then talk about the art of speaking, or of not speaking, because that's more than words, but of the art of wordsmithing. Okay. I don't even care if that's a real word. We're going to drink yeah, it anyway. let's say that might be a real word. So I have a okay. feeling on this, and... Yeah, well, the first thing 
I want to bring up, and, and you know what? Go ahead, Zach. I need to pour myself more. Oh, you know, Zach, here's the thing, man. I At some point in this conversation, we're going to hit the deep end, right? Yeah, for sure. And I know you know what I mean by that, right? Oh, yeah. 100%. I'm going okay. straight into the deep end next time I speak, but Okay, because we're going to get there. Zach. And I can feel it in the room. I was just, I was just more... I'm going to, as the featured pop culture icon here, I was going to bring it, bring something back to just a random pop culture reference. Just be like, look, the, in Inception, they're trying to boil down the simplest idea and then put it into someone's mind, blah, 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 and then it ends up just developing into a full flower of blah, 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 whatever. Go watch the movie if you have it. Great movie. Whatever. I haven't. <laughs> I live under a rock. Doug, Doug, he do better. But, um... But it's more of, now I forgot where I was, but I'm just trying to say that, like, it's not about how we develop the words themselves. It's about how how we use the words to translate a certain idea to everyone that will translate and manifest itself in certain ways. Right. So I, yeah. So I want to talk about the burden of communication and our expression real quick. And my, the real, an aside I want to talk about is, um, one of the segments of Alice in Wonderland, uh, the Humpty Dumpty segment. And I haven't read it actually, or not in a long time. Um, I'm getting the, I don't know where I derived this information from. Maybe it's not even the Alice in Humpty Dumpty section, but as I remember it, um, Alice and Humpty Dumpty are talking, and one of the things they talk about is who has the burden, um, during a communication. Is it the communicator, or is it the communicate um, to understand what's happening? Because the communicator, uh, has to say, you know, in this point, the, the wordsmith, the talker, has to say the right words to express meaning. You know, if, if I want to say, Zach, you owe me five bucks... I'm not going to say, um, you know, fucking anything else. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, basically, I have to say, Zach, um, you owe me five bucks. Yeah. You know, and I might say, Zach, you owe me five quid. Um, I'm, I wouldn't, but I might. I hope not. Yeah. I don't have five quid, but like, yeah. go ahead. You know, I might say, you know, Zach, you owe me some money. I might be a bit more vague. Um, but essentially, like, I have this burden if I want to get my $5, to tell Zach, um, you know, Zach, you owe me five bucks and I need it. Um, and Zach doesn't owe me five bucks, by the way. This isn't some tongue-in-cheek, I'm reminding Zach of a debt he owes me. Sure. Um, this is, this is all the yeah. first thing I thought of. Uh-huh. But, at the same time, if I'm in any way vague, or some, or even if I'm straight up, like, what if Zach gave me, or what if Zach borrowed the five bucks while he was blackout drunk, Trying to get into what's that bar? Well, which bar? What do you barbs? Want? Thank you. Okay. Um, trying to get into barbs. You know how they have a cover charge after like one thirty, right? except that they actually don't because they they do sometimes. I've paid to get in barbs before. I have literally last weekend. Yeah. I went to barbs. They said, "Well, yeah, they, I didn't have to pay either." Of course, I just went in and went. Right, out. right, right. But here's the extent of the fickleness. Yeah, I went up and I said, "I'd like to, you know, here's my ID." They're like, "Oh, here's the charge." I said, "Okay." I went to an ATM, got the money, came back. They're like, "Oh, just come on in." Yeah, five minutes is how fickle they are about whether yeah. there's a charge or not. Yeah, I mean that's every bar, but, but that's like, an aside. That is not yeah, every that... bar. That is barbs being crazy. That, right. No, no, no. That's a lot of bars if, in Austin. I've if, done that. I've done that at many bars. In I'm Austin. shocked by that. My point Imagine. is that if Zach um, doesn't remember that he owes me five bucks, he may not understand what I'm referencing um, when I say he owes me five bucks. Well, sure. Yeah, uh, but then wouldn't you just be more exact? Right. At the same time, exact. Um, <laughs> at the same time, that's the second time he's made that joke. I know. Really? Yes, it Fuck. is. <laughs> I'm I'm bad. Uh, at the same time, if um someone who doesn't speak English owes me five bucks, and I go up to them in English and say you owe me five dollars in English, and there's no translator, um, whose fault is? It? So this is the thing I've been wrestling with for most of this conversation is if we don't limit this to just one language, as in like yeah. It just becomes immensely difficult but to translate. But it's simply, like, let's say, let's put it in terms that we understand and our, most of our, well, half of our podcast viewers, the ones that don't matter, um, won't. But 
you were when we were in Sandy's class and we weren't paying attention because we've all had at least one moment. Was that Sandy's fault or was it our fault? I tend to think it was our fault. I think that in in most cases there is a voluntariness to any communication. And I think that where you find the majority of the volunteering, whether the communicator or the communicated, communicatee, yes, or in the you yes. end up with. By the way, those are fucking fake words. You're anyway. right. At least one of them. I forgot. Fake yeah, communicatee. I think is a fake word. I I forgot the rules. I think therein you find fault. I think that eventually you're going to find a party who more wants to be a part of it. And therein, I think that you, you're going to find consistently the fault of a failure to communicate. Right. But yeah, which, so, is it Sandy's failure to communicate or is it our failure so to listen? I, I think agree it's with you. Wait. So are you saying that it's Sa- So let's talk about Sandy for okay. a second. Are you saying that it was... Let's give context on Sandy. Just yes, real quick. Sure. I think Chris um gets the honor of giving oh, people a Sandy impression uh-huh. and just generally talking about him. Just talk. Okay. So let me just go ahead and and begin with a Sandy impression. And I think that anyone listening to this that has any experience with Sandy will will very quickly latch on and think to themselves, yes, that is a well-expressed and communicated version, right? So, well, if you consider it one way, one might imagine that, well, and you might disagree, as very well many people might, but... On the other hand, one might very well say that, in fact, there is, and really, truly should be, one way to consider it. But then, on the other hand, and for better or for worse, there could very well also be another, and frankly, very well, you might say, different. But you might also say completely opposite way in which you might consider it, and so on and so forth. The whole thing about Sandy is that he has this talent to begin a sentence at the beginning of class, roll off on a series of tangents and detours, the likes of which you will never again see, and perhaps if you're lucky, finish the sentence at the end of the class. If not at the end of the semester. It's truly astonishing, incredible, and frankly, I love the guy. I think he's fantastic. Oh, absolutely. And one of the reasons that he's I... He's one of the many brilliant professors at our law school. He's fabulous. So... I, what, I've taken two classes with him on purpose. I think he's amazing. So I love his instruction. How many classes have you taken with him accidentally? Zero. Well, arguably the first class. You well... Say hey, let me put it this way. That wasn't an accident. That was more just like, hey, you just don't have to take Without intention over. or accident, I had no choice about that first class. Yes. But I chose to take the second so then, but or here's here was my question again: is is it Sandy's fault that he's not tell, communicating the information effectively or expressing the information effectively? I don't like that I drew that line because I'm just going to use the two interchangeably anyway. Um. <laughs> anyways, well, yeah, so much for that. But is it his fault that he's not expressing? Um, the information effectively, or is it our fault that we're not patient enough to listen? I gotta tell you, I think in the majority of situations, the line is so unclear as to ensure that it's not even worth arbitrating. Yeah. There are cases when the communicator is, just needs to get that point across. And there are cases where people are seeking the instruction of a master. But most of the time, I think we're in the middle. Where are, there are those talking and those listening, and there exists this bilateral responsibility to try their best to get each other. Right, so good good job, because my, my response was going to be that it's a trick question. It's on both people. Most of the time. Yeah, um, be, yeah. I mean, with anything, with any human relationship, it's always going to be a situation with two sides. Right. That's how we have roles. That's how we develop anything. So... I feel like, especially like with the Sandy situation, there will be some times where some parts of the class will be more interested in a certain case where today, and we'll have more impetus to be ready to and willing to engage with Sandy and engage with what, engage with his sentence, with his hour and a half. Some days there won't be. Some days other people will be just trying to do the same thing. So it just really depends on who's ready to be willing and who's ready willing to take so yeah right so 
then here's my question, or then here's the point I'm going to expand off of that. And and this is me trying to bring Chris down a bit. Um, eventually, at the end of the thing, is to I'm really high intensity about this, right? Because he he is skeptical about my assumption. He thinks words are a fantastic tool, but I am very. Well, I think they're a fantastic tool, but um. So ba- what what then we all agree on is that both the communicator and the communicatee have a role in understanding the communication. In most cases. Right. Well, in, in all cases. Because even if it's, even if it's the simplest thing, right? If I'm speaking to someone and I don't speak their language, then I may not be able to express that. And it's, but then pers- in, in that right. case, it's only your fault, right? Right. Well, the other person could have learned English as well as I could have learned their language. Well, sure, but I think that eventually... But your knowledge we- of him not knowing that language, wouldn't that put it, put it all on But he you? also yeah. knows that I don't know their language. Does he? Right, but then what are they supposed I mean, to do, it, right? It really right? depends on... Do that. I, Zach? Yeah, it, but But like, even then, right? I mean, I think that ultimately, in most cases, yeah. you can place responsibility on both parties, but right. in some cases, I think you really do end up with the situation where the communicator or the communicatee is just fundamentally failing in their responsibility. Well, come up with a situation. Just the one you were describing. Where, if I roll over yeah. to, like, Bosnia... Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm going to teach these kids about world peace or some nonsense. Right. And they truly have never heard English in their life. Yeah. It is my fault. It is not their fault. But they could have learned English. No, they couldn't you... have. Yeah, they could have. Are you saying Doug. Bosnians have no opportunity to learn but, English? Doug, yeah. I'm saying that it is absurd to How argue. much of an opportunity have you had in your life to, to, have, learn, to Bosnian. learn Bosnian? Exactly. From a... From Doug. From, a, bo- from yeah. a fully fluent Bosnian speaker who also knows English. Yeah. As far as I know, I've never had that opportunity. Amazing. Think- so, and you think Bosnians have that equal... Children in Bosnia have that opportunity. I'm saying that y'all have this equal no opportunity. No! I have the opportunity to learn now, Bosnian granted, if I if want to. if you go to Bosnia... Yeah, if, I'm, if I'm a person that's the who's entire going pre- to Bosnia. That's, that's the premise of the argument, is that... I'm rolling into Bosnia thinking I'm going to spread a message, and these kids have never heard English in their life. It's not their fault. It's my fault for rolling in there thinking that I can just communicate with these children without any common words. Being a damn American imperialist. But let's Worse say, than that, a carpet bag. Let's say, <laughs> let's say you're playing charades as well as you can along with speaking English. See, and that's that's my fundamental skepticism. And yeah, then we get into the whole words, versus right? Language. Well, but if you if that is your fundamental skepticism, then you already believe that words can't do everything. Because no, in fact, that's what I'm saying yeah. is that words have this incredible power when right. you know them, and when yeah. you don't know words, you end up with this extreme futility. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Right, and okay, so then we never disagreed to begin with. We were just very bad with our words. Okay. Because that's exactly what I've been Fair trying to express. Oh, God. I've never pretended that I'm particularly good with words. I just think that oh, words no, are... Oh, I'm no, I'm absolutely terrible with words. I, just think, I think it's great that the two of us who are both self-admittedly terrible with words have a podcast. Sure. Where all we do is yeah. words and vocal tone. I just think that words are supremely powerful. That's all I've argued from the start. Yeah. Well, and and that's what... I have, or then that's what I want to talk about is the power of the words, because I think it's not just we impose ourselves on the tool of words, rather like we use, we use words as well as we want, but words have this sort of pushback on us where they affect our way of thinking. Um, like maybe, maybe because we try to put things into words to communicate as much as we do, there are certain things that are lost, like trying to fit a round peg into a square hole that's round peg. Well, we've all learned that language... Or is it square peg into a round But it doesn't matter, right? I mean, both kind of don't work, but... I mean, they both definitely don't work, as <laughs> yeah. long as you... And that's the thing. If they have a language, area. Language absolutely affects our minds. Yeah. You always learn about these studies where... Whenever you add a language to someone's mind, it literally restructures their brain. Right, and that's what we're going to talk about for the remaining 25-ish minutes. Okay. Also, I have a feeling that not even, like, you can even go deeper than, like, just differences in language and differences in dialects. So, it's taken me 50 minutes, 
Well, okay, we took about 10 minutes to start. It's taken me 40 minutes um, to explain to Chris, three words, what this podcast is about. Because now we're finally on sort of the same page, close enough to the same page. Um, and that's that's something that's noteworthy, is that, you know, you could argue that Chris and I aren't effective communicators because it took us 40 minutes, and because Chris doesn't respond to text messages. That literally has <laughs> nothing to do with tonight. <laughs> it, has, it has things to do with being an effective communicator. Hey, you know what? I'm not a part of this. So, uh, <laughs> hey, just leave me out of this. I'll respond to any of y'all's text messages. Well, as Doug has already admitted, yeah. the fault exists with both parties on that one. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> sorry. I, I, so much yeah. tea was just spilt in the past, like, 30 seconds. Y'all don't even know. You see the mess? Might have to clean all this up. It's so bad. Here's though. the thing. I mean, what you should understand while listening at home. I'll, you know, I winked at Doug when I made that comment, and I know that Doug Wait, and I... Winked? Yeah. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it, bro. I didn't even get Man, it. whose fault it was that I didn't see your wink? Both. Yes. As you've already said. Yeah. Yep. Both parties <laughs> fucked up. Okay. Ooh, this hypnotic is especially hypnotic. All right. You were saying. Was I? I think so. You were? I was. Yes, you were trying was, to describe the entire point of the entire show. Yeah. See, the thing is that the entire point is hand in hand with my inability to express it is that ultimately words are a very powerful, but I think that there are some limita- limitations um, that words impose on us, uh, because we, we rely on them so much. And I'd like to talk about that for, I guess, the remaining however long the rest of this podcast. Is it words as a general matter, or is it the only kind of words you and I have ever truly known, which is our own English words? Yes. No. Yes. Not good enough, right? Because the entire idea is, are words ever going to, or is the mere experience of our language, not enough. Well, okay, do you believe if words are... Do you believe words are ever going to be... Hang on, real quick. Again! I want to go through this. From a cer- from my perspective, I yeah. do think that the human brain can be aligned in such a way that when all the language, the words themselves, are common, that one person can communicate to another person, communicate and express everything that needs to be brought across. So are you saying, like... But, as we've discussed, that needs both the communicator and the communicatee uh, to be aligned, right? So if you had, like, a Tower of Babel, right, you're saying that everyone who expe- who was on the Tower, or is building the tower, would be able to communicate perfectly effectively with everyone, because we'd be able to understand each other perfectly, or we'd be able to uh, understand each other's language. Well... Assuming that the Tower of Babylon in your situation is when we are all speaking the same language. Yeah. We share our words. We share all of them. But even then, I mean, the whole thing behind the trial skills that I've been being taught is the admission from the outgo that, listen, yes, we share a language, but that doesn't mean you can express to people what you want to show them through your words, right? So I can't just string together... A series of words and it's good enough. It needs to be a directed of words, a strategically selected series of its right. But I do think that the language, and if it is not true that the language itself cannot express what needs to be expressed, then I do not think that the written word would ever have become as successful as it ever has been. Well, so you're saying that if you strategically select your words, then it can be effectively communicated to anyone? Within the language? I think that's largely true. And I think that to look for the success of that, again, you look at the written word. We have books that have become bestsellers across the ages in the millennia. Yeah. And I think the only way you could argue why is that there is something special about but, the well, mere selection of those words in that I order. Wanna, I, specifically, I don't think that's necessarily a good uh, argument because I've been in English classes. I have an English minor. You could give the same book to five students and they all find something different from it. Sure. But right. I don't think that the the important because what's the objective, right? The it's all about the objective. Well, but it's not because let's say let's take Fahrenheit 451. Okay. Ray Bradbury wrote that book about he was condemning television and he was saying that people would watch so much television that we would no longer read books. Sure. And that was his message. But it's taught in classes about it's about censorship. Sure. 
the and, effort of the yeah, reader. And anyone who's ever been on Reddit for a month has seen it. Today I learned that Red, yeah. Ray Bradbury once taught a college class and walked out because he was trying to tell people that it was about it wasn't about censorship, and the students were trying to tell people it was. And then then we learn that the reader right. the reader's effort in understanding that work yeah. overwhelmed the communicator's effort. Right. Right. So but, I so think that again, what's the 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 thing what's here? What's the point of the communicator's words? I'm not arguing that in every case, yeah. the communicator communicates successfully. Right. In fact, in in the grand majority of cases, they don't. Okay. But I do fundamentally assert that a communicator and a communicatee have the power together to link up upon a message that can convey in its fullness what it is trying to convey. And you know what? Yeah, there are a million failure stories. As well there should be. As well there should be a million failure stories as to body language gesturing and yeah, gesticulating. Yeah, a hole in one, for that matter. Precisely. Yeah. Because success is not measured by all the failures that have come before. Right. Success is measured by yeah. the highest point of this medium, right? So we look at golf. Okay, great. We yeah. look at golf. We don't define golf by me. Right. Because if we define golf by me... We would give up on the entire effort. Yeah, we would think, well, I don't know how your golf game It's is. not good. Neither is mine, Zach. But if we... Okay. Maybe <laughs> the best some, in the world. I got some clubs in the back of my car. We should go to Hancock. Let's do it, man. Yeah, back I mean, nine, the back nine is like nine bucks. Really? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, I think less for students. It's what? 11 bucks for um, a whole round, I think. Something like that. I just think that the medium of the human language, yeah. in the same way we have the medium of golf. Yeah. Or any art, but and art as in like a skill that requires technical. Well, problems. no, I want to talk about language. Yeah, and I think that language. But language is an art, is what I'm saying. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, but just like any of these things, art or sport. Yeah, I think that we have to judge it by its highest peaks, and I think the highest peaks of language are unlike anything else, and tremendously, unprecedentedly. So my my thought on the futility of words. And this is, I guess, one of my biggest arguments is, and it's something maybe that I'm more inclined to because I use analogies so much. But I think one of the reasons why an analogy is such a powerful, especially when I'm explaining arcane concepts, um, that is concepts that aren't readily accessible, um, I, is because it imprints an idea on someone's head. And then they can use that idea to figure out what you really mean. But you're not telling someone in words um, specifically what you really mean. You're giving someone a parallel idea, and then you're telling them, think about this idea, but think about it in a parallel manner. Sure. A proxy, as we might yeah. call it. And, I'm, I mean, maybe I use analogies more than most people. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but I think because analogies are so important in expressing arcane ideas... Um, I, I think by arcane ideas, yeah. do you really mean esoteric ideas? Yes. No, that's a real word. And I know it's a real word. Thesaurus. Thesaurus. Got it. Rule. Yes. But ar I think arcane is also a good word to use. Um, things that aren't readily available. No, I, I, I just mean to yeah. listen. Yeah, I'm just listening. Sure. I'm just listening. And I, I think, like, if words were as effective as you believe they are, I think we'd have no reason for an analogy. Because an analogy... You're giving someone sort of a parallel example, and you're depending on them to make the connection. So this is, in fact, maybe the core of our discussion. Right. Because so analogy yeah. is the entire basis of language. Because language started as a way of telling stories. And stories are nothing if they are not analogies, well, did it proxies. Well, well hang on. Let me, communicating information. Let, because... me, let, me, let me bring this across, right? Okay. I think my understanding of history, my understanding of the archaeology around it, is that fundamentally, stories only ever developed as one thing. And that is a way of telling stories. And I think that we do have an evolutionary perspective on that. Don't go over there because there's tigers there. Well, how are you going to believe that? How are you going to understand that? Well, what about the time that I went there and there were tigers? Don't go there. And our brains, and this is scientifically, are hardwired to understand and care about stories, individual stories that we can empathize with, understand, and internalize, right? I think that these analogies, as you describe them, metaphors, proxies, as I might call them, these are the core 
of human language, whatever language you pick. And that in itself is the entire story of the power of language. Because you pick these things that you have a touch point with, your audience has a touch point with, and suddenly through that fictional touch point, you create understanding, something that no other animal can truly achieve. And that is why I believe in language. All right. And you still, you so your perspective is still a perfect communicator and a perfect communicate. can achieve perfect communication. You know, I love the, I love that question because I can't quite get there. I think that rather... Yeah, well, do you believe that or not? No. Okay, because I've been assigning that belief to you in my mind and maybe on the podcast. You've been thinking that I do believe that? Yes. I don't think that I believe that there can be perfect communication, but but I think that enough to do yeah. what you need. Yeah, which in is, every case, right. which which is fine. I mean, we wouldn't talk with each other um, if it weren't enough. Like it'd be stupid. It'd be it wouldn't be a, a biological evolutionary aspect of us if it wasn't effective. I'm not saying words aren't effective. They're a very effective tool. I'm saying that perfect communication isn't possible through words. And that's that's the only point I want to talk about, or I've been trying well, Doug, to discuss. I, I guess, th- let me distill for you, because to avoid the appearance of lack of successful communication. Yeah. Well, I'm fine with us having lack of successful communication. But I think I can point. say something that you will understand where I'm coming yeah. from. I'm not saying that language itself is perfect. Right. I'm saying that there is nothing better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh. I'm never going to disagree with you on that. Fabulous. Well, except... I, but here, well, maybe, maybe, yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, I'm going to argue that art is... And, and not the techni- art as technical skills, but I think that good art is more effective at expressing a point um, than le- words themselves. And it may be that... Well, arguably, yeah. poetry, like, let's say, you know, poetry proves a point, right? But poetry is more than the sums of the words in the poem. Like, you put these words together and they become more than what they are on their own. I agree. Right. So you're saying then that poetry is better at expressing than purely words. Well, I think, I think what I'm saying is that people are, they enter a different mindset about such things. And Zach, you're awfully quiet. Yeah, no, no, no. I really do want to hear Zach's perspective. I really do. I'm very much enjoying this conversation. I want y'all to continue. So if you want to continue, please do. But we wouldn't invite you to this podcast if we didn't want your input, Zach. I mean, honestly, like, I'm very, I'm very hung up on certain things that would very much derail where this conversation, especially due to the fact that I look at language and art. So, confl- oh, absolutely. Conflating the two ideas makes it and, difficult and, to make this yeah, distinction and, of, like, when we were talking about Fahrenheit 451, mm-hmm. I think of a certain... Is um, it 451 or is it 451? 451. But, um... Oh, well, again, that's, a, that's a tea thing, right? Yeah, Because yeah. you see specifically the words. Yeah, I mean, like, when I when I see a... I guess a temperature that high, I would say, or 51. I would say 451. There you go. We so can like, disagree. You can disagree on that. Yeah. But, like, in in certain ways, I feel like the... In the English language is this, I mean, at least when put to, um, to books and knowledge and things of that nature, it's this certain thing where we're putting out this certain Venn diagram and to whoever it touches, it touches and to whoever it doesn't, it doesn't just pass over their head either way. So using it as an art, it just seems as though there can never be perfect communication, but the perf, the perfectness, that's a word, right? Perfection, but... Perfection. Ah, here it is. No, the thing is, like, saying that it's... The perfection of the... Yeah, okay. The perfection of the English language is that it isn't. Is that it will... It will apply to some people and it will apply to other people. And other people will get what they're supposed to get from it. And other people will distill what they... What they distill from it. And so other people, it'll just pass over their heads. And I think that's one thing that the complexities of at least the English language and other languages as well offers to certain popular. That's just me. And as we're talking about specific audiences, I would like to remind our audience that if you really want to get the most out of this podcast, you you got to drink with us. Yeah. Because sure. what happens is we talk and we drink and we get drunk because you can't drink without getting drunk. And, not on uh, this show you can't. <laughs> yeah, not on this show. 
when we have a concoction that's basically 40 proof and we're drinking goblets. Uh, because they sold these as goblets. Actually, they are. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. wonderful. Typically, um, yeah. The, I'm talking about the vessels that yeah. we're drinking out of. Um, so finals. Yeah, let's let's do final thoughts. It's about five minutes early, but um, we might as well go. Um, Chris. So I had this thought almost as soon as you started the show, Doug, and it's a quote ostensibly by this Romanian philosopher named Emil Sioran, and it's prominently featured in Metal Gear Solid Five. The Phantom Pain or the The demo? Phantom Pain. Okay, because I have the Phantom Pain, and I haven't played through it yet, but it's pretty fun. Well, let me give you a quote that you might remember. It is no nation we inhabit, but a language. Make no mistake. Our native tongue is our true fatherland. And from the moment that I saw that quote float across the screen in its bright white on black background, I realized that this statement is preeminently true. Language, like I've described earlier, not only does it reorient our entire neurostructure, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we communicate, the way we talk, it is, more than any place we've ever lived in, our country. It is what we, it is the way that we talk to those people that we love. It is the way in which we feel the thing that we've been taught by our homeland to feel. And so when we start to talk about language, meaning its importance, its capability, I can't help but to think what we're really talking about is countries, our homeland, our blood, our soil, our fundamental home. And I leave this conversation with that same feeling because where we were born. No, you know what? Forget that. Not where we were born. Where we feel at home. That is our country. That is our language. And that is what should and does matter. Just, like, emanate while you were speaking. It was really weird, and I was just like, oh my god, I feel like I should put my hand over my heart right now. (laughs) That was was very, that was very, oh man, that just, that made me feel. Zach, I'm honored by that. (laughs) That made me feel. I really am. But, uh. Something by John Philip Sousa. Yeah, something. It's a march or, oh man, that was, that was good. That was very eloquent. I, Wow. All right, Zach. You kind of had final statements already. Yeah, I kind of already did mine. Um, Let's let's honestly final final statements. I find that so my mom was an editor, and I find that I see the complexities of language in this certain weird light where I see it through its impact on, and I find that language really is something that can just evoke so many different emotions and so many. And I find that words do such a similar, just the wordsmithing and that, and I think of that as art. I think of that as a, a real, a real way for people to convey not only, not only what's supposed to be on the page, but these kind of underground subvert, subversive feelings about the matter or things of that nature. I find that there's no real way to describe how immersive and how important arts truly, art truly is. And how important and subversive and immersive that language and language truly is. So in this conversation, I just find that language being art is just something that will never truly, we can never truly grasp because there are certain aspects of it that we're supposed to grasp and there's certain things that we are. And that's just how life is. All right. And my final thoughts, um, besides the fact that this hypnotic drink is incredibly hypnotic, <laughs> Hypnotic on the rock. I yeah. Um. Shit. My final thoughts are that words are, as I've been saying this entire time, are a tool. Um. You take them out of a chest. You use them out of your brain, for this matter. You use them to fulfill a certain purpose, and then you put them back in the chest. But someone like an artist uses tools to create art. And this is fundamentally where I'm going to maybe or, or maybe not disagree with Zach, but art is something that is created um, outside of the... Like, you have an artist, and you have a sculptor, and he can make something out of marble and a chisel. Or you have someone else who can take the chisel and the marble and not create um, a sculptor. You know, who will just pound it into dust. You have Spongebob and you have Squidward. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
And I think art transcends, then, the use of tools, and it belongs to the artist. Um, but we have... But you still use tools, um, and you still use words. Maybe Dean Farnsworth, who's the dean of our law school and a master chess player, and a very good public speaker, in my opinion, um, he uses words as... And he crafts them into an art. But I think that skill belongs with him and not with words. Uh, I guess what I mean is that an artist is an artist regardless of the tools he's given. And if words are just tools um, that an artist can use for expression, then there may be other tools available. I hope in future podcasts we can talk more about this sort of expression and other forms of art and how they change our perceptions on reality. Chris, give us our... Well, thank you guys very, very much for once again jumping on board with us for yet another season of the Sophist Symposium. Uh, well, it's been a great another episode of the show. We got to bring you Zach once again, which always we are so proud and pleased and really in our, in our own private way excited to have him on the show. We certainly hope you'll continue to listen along. And we are always glad to bring you some content that you may enjoy in your own home, as we love to bring it to you in ours. Have a great night. See you next time.